Hello, and welcome to The Get. I'm your host, Erica Seidel. This season, we examine the relationship between CMOs and boards. How can that relationship go from fraught to functional and maybe even to fantastic? Today, I wanted you to hear from a guest who brings both the CEO and the board member perspective. So I invited Chris Fountain to join us. Chris is an operating partner with Frontier Growth. They are a growth equity firm investing in SaaS businesses in scale-up mode. We have collaborated on a few different searches, and I always learn from talking with him. We covered a lot of ground, as you can tell when you listen. What does the board expect from a marketing leader? How do psychological factors get in your way as a marketer interacting with your board? How can you upgrade from seeing your board members as gatekeepers to seeing them as resources? And how can you stand out when you interview with a board member for a CMO job? Let's go. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Chris Fountain, who has collaborated with me on a few different searches. And Chris has been a sales leader, a an overall leader, a CEO, and now an operating partner with Frontier Growth, which is actually like a lovely PE shop, which is rare for me to say, but it is true. It's a very unique PE growth equity firm that focuses a lot on SaaS companies and helping them grow and kind of going through that messy scale-up stage. Chris, I am delighted to have you on the get. So thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you, Eric. I'm delighted to be here. And you have the best like radio voice probably of most of the people I've been speaking with lately. I'm excited for that. People say I have a face for radio too. <laughs> the face and the voice. All right. Awesome. I would love for you to just share your background in a nutshell and, and how have you gotten to this cool role that you have where you just have this great broad view across all these different businesses, sitting on boards and helping with operations? Sure. Happy to share that. I grew up in, in the software industry on the sales side of things. First sales engineering and sales and sales management, ultimately sales and marketing leadership, and then general management serving as a multi-time CEO. So I, I've had great fortunate experiences working with great teams along the way. All the companies with the exception of the very first company I worked for were backed by private equity and or venture capital investors. So a lot of experience working with, with cap investors, equity investors. The way I evolved into this role as a, once I became a COO slash CEO, I had the opportunity to do independent board work with some of the investors with whom I'd worked over the years. And so I established a reputation for having an ability to add value on a, at a board level. And then Frontier came along, actually, it's kind of funny. They called me about a CEO job and I said, well, I'm not really interested in that particular job, but I know that you guys have operating partners. And they said, well, yeah, we do. Maybe we can talk about that. It was serendipitous that I had the opportunity to connect with Frontier and become an operating partner. It is a dream job, but my goal is to help our CEOs be as successful as possible. Since a lot of the listeners for The Get are very interested in becoming operating partners focused on marketing, so it would be slightly different than your role. What is the kind of soft skill that you are using the most as an operating partner? That's a great question. I think What's really important is that you remember that you're there as a supporting cast member. You're not running the company. So having been a CEO, stepping into this role, I had to learn to take being the side chair, not the first chair. And you've got to be super respectful of the operators that are running these companies. So if you're a marketing operating partner, the CMO or the VP of marketing, they're the ones that have to do the tough work of running their operation. What you can't do as an operating partner is forget that you're there to support them in their role. You're not there to oversee them. You're not there to tell them what to do. You're there to be supportive and hopefully 
through that process, you gain the trust and respect of your counterpart, whether it's a CEO or a VP of marketing or a CMO. And they see that you're not a threat, that you're really there to help them. You know, I don't think that starts day one. You've got to earn that. And there's a lot of finesse and subtlety that goes with that. I had one of the partners at Frontier ask me when I was being interviewed, how do you avoid being threatening to the CEO? And I said, well, I've been a CEO with operating partners by my side and I'm hypersensitive to, to making sure there's a very bright line that I don't cross as an operating partner, Mm. that I'm there to support them, not do their job or direct them. You sat in a lot of board meetings in your career. I'd love for you to just pick one, either when a marketing leader was doing a great job of interacting with the board or one when it was a disastrous job and you could just pick which one you want to talk about. So I I maybe talk about both, I think, because I've had the pleasure to work with some great marketing leaders and business leaders across these businesses. It's worth mentioning Frontier invests in companies that are between, call it 5 million in ARR, annual recurring revenue on the low end, up to 15 million when we invest. And our goal is to grow those companies to 50 plus million dollar businesses and to hopefully achieve that in a fairly short amount of time. When the marketing leaders, let's say they were there before we got there or we hired one, dumping a bunch of information on the board can be frustrating. I think about marketing in kind of a, as a triangle. There's brand, there's product marketing, and there's lead generation. And yeah, you have marketing communications. But I think about those three kind of major pillars of a marketing operation. There's a lot of information behind each of those three areas. And if you try to dump too much on a board, there's a lot of hand-waving, lots of slideware. I think it can be very frustrating. And I've been in board meetings where, you know, there are too many slides and it distracts from what's most important. It could be too many slides about website metrics, which, yeah, we know everybody has to have a website and it's got to produce and it ultimately lead to conversions to pipeline. But we don't need to know about every Google Analytics metric on that website. I mean, page views. And so I, I would say the one thing that frustrates boards is just not being clear and concise on what really matters most and putting too much in front of them, which just distracts from what's most important. Okay. So is it fair to say that this level of altitude really matters? Like you want the right blend of strategy and tactic, like strategic stuff and tactical stuff to come out in the board meeting. Because I think sometimes marketers feel like sometimes the opposite is like, oh, this is going to be too tactical for the board, but the board really wants to help. And so how can somebody navigate that, you know, that right level of altitude? So I think it's really important to get alignment with your board on what exactly they want to see. So let's say you just hired a new head of marketing and their first board meeting is coming up. We'd love to know their initial observations. What are their findings? As they've gotten to know the team that might be in place now, as they've gotten to know the company's market position, that wouldn't be something you'd want to see at every board meeting, but there's a time and a place for that. So I think mm. getting alignment on that, on, on what the board is interested in seeing. If you're going through, like we've had companies go through major rebranding projects. We want to get briefed on status of that project, what focus groups are telling us and what ideas are being bantered around and what decisions are being made. Again, that's hopefully we don't do that twice in our hold period, but it's an important thing. And then that board media, we're going to be spending time on that. So I think getting alignment is really critical. And then you can figure out where, at what altitude you should operate in that board meeting. And double click on this getting alignment. So is it just as simple as a marketing leader interacting with board members and saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking of sharing with the board meeting or what is it you want to hear about? Or should that go through the CEO? Because it sounds like there's just a lot of guesswork that's typically going on. No, it shouldn't be guesswork. It should be, it, there should be a very deliberate process by which you get alignment. First with your CEO. So she or he 
are clear and, and it's a team effort to say, okay, this is what the theme of this board meeting is going to be. And here's what marketing's role is in that meeting. By the way, marketing may not be at every board meeting. That's not unusual for us. We may have a product themes board meeting where marketing is, the materials have to be prepared for the board, but they may not be actually briefed during the meeting. Get alignment with your CEO first. And I think in the case of Frontier, we have operating partners and we're working with our companies. And I love it when executives reach out to me to say, hey, I'd like to review with you what I'm planning to cover. I'm always going to be one, be respectful of the CEO. So again, we don't create any confusion because I don't make any decisions for the CEO, but we can certainly, we have a perspective if we sit between the company and our investment professionals. So we're able to provide some insight into how they think about the company, what's important to evaluate during a board meeting or review. So I think it's got to be very deliberate and um, it could even go as far as once the outlines determined for the marketing component of the board meeting, even sharing draft materials with an operating partner if they're available. Mm -hmm. I think most operating partners would appreciate that. Now, operating partners don't want to be asked to do the job or be asked to make decisions for marketing leaders, but being consulted on, here's what I was planning to present. Do you think I'm covering the relevant points? Is this too detailed? Is it too summary? Those are all good things to, to review before you get into the boardroom. Fundamentally, like what are you looking for the marketing leader to provide to the board and what are you not looking for? I know you've shared some of this already, but would love a deeper dive there. The one thing this. I think it's important. So we're investing, again, I mentioned that those metrics earlier because it's important to have context. We're not trying to maximize profitability when we invest. We're trying to optimize, sustain, and hopefully accelerate growth. So we're growth stage SaaS software businesses. So what's really critical to that kind of business is its ability to generate high quality demand. I believe every board deck, whether it gets presented in the live meeting or not, the marketing portion of the board deck shouldn't be metrics driven. And it should be very clear what marketing's role is in driving bookings growth. Lead flow is great, but if you can't translate that into one deals, closed one opportunities, people are going to be scratching their head. What are we getting for our marketing spend? So in my view, every board meeting, once you mapped out your ideal customer profile, your target market, again, we do a lot of that in diligence. We know a lot of that, but there's a level of refinement that occurs typically after we invest. So once you've got the instrumentation of flying the plane that's gaining altitude, is important and really critical instrumentation is demand, lead flow, and conversions to closed one deals. Along with that, I think is ROI. Good marketers, I think, understand how investments pay off in tangible ways. And the one thing that's amazing today about the marketing domain in B2B SaaS is all of the science that underpins mm -hmm. that marketing, all the demand gen science and the tools, being able to clearly articulate the results, how they're impacting bookings and growth. And the ROI associated with the spend, I think, is super important as part of every board deck for a marketer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not every metric got to be distilled to a higher level that's relevant and interesting mm -hmm. to a board. But the presumption is the marketing leader is going to have a lot more granularity that the board doesn't need. To. Right. So often in order to get to that great pipeline, a marketing leader is doing some work on positioning, messaging, building the value prop. That can take a lot of time. Is basically your advice, don't just look at how you're spending your time and focus on that with the board meeting, but focus on the key results. And we understand that it might have been a thousand hours to get to the messaging that is delivering that increased pipeline. That's a good point. So it depends, again, on where you are in the life cycle of an investment. Uh-huh. Let's say somebody's new coming into the company. This idea of trying to have great clarity around your ideal customer profile, super important to us. We actually participate and facilitate in that process with our companies. 
We don't do it. We're just facilitators because the companies do it. And marketing leadership is really critical to that process. Early in investment for us, we want to know that we have a very clear picture of the voice of the customer. We want to know, be able to understand that we know who our ICP is, our ideal customer profile. We know the buyer personas. We know how we position ourselves relative to our competitors. That has a time and a place, but you don't need to revisit that at every board meeting. The metrics I described a minute ago around demand gen, lead flow, and conversions to close one deals, that's to me part of every board deck once you've got the plane off the tarmac, mm. off the runway. And early on in, in a relationship with the CMO, we may want to be digging, really understanding what they're doing to make validate the ICP. We probably already have some idea. We invest in companies, again, that have product market fit, so they know who their targets are. But there's always opportunities to refine that. Mm. And then the buyer personas and how we're positioning our solutions relative to our competitors. Right. How we're enabling the sales team to win. Those things should be covered at the right point in time. And in the review, when they're being updated, or if you do an acquisition and now you're expanding your TAM, you need to obviously revisit, okay, now our ICP is morphed into, it now includes these kinds of companies right. with these characteristics. And the buyer personas with this new solution set have expanded to include these executives, what have you. Okay. That wouldn't be in every board meeting. So again, that alignment's critical because early in a relationship with the CMO, we want to, that's the kind of thing we would expect them to review with us. So how should a CMO be educating the board versus asking for the board to make a decision? (laughs) So I I don't ever believe in asking a board to make a decision, whether you're the CMO, the CEO, or the CIA. Management should always come to the board with kind of key updates on the business. Uh, Transparency is really important. So every company's got challenges and uh, a management team's willingness to talk about those challenges and what the company's doing to address those challenges and opportunities to me is really important because the board may have perspective on how to navigate challenges and opportunities. But I would never come to the board and say, we got this question we need an answer to. We need to decide, are we going to go down path A, B, or C? What do you guys think? Uh, If I was in that kind of board meeting, I'd be like, wait a minute, you should come to the meeting with a recommendation or point of view. And if you want to get the board, you think it's a big enough decision where the board needs to approve it. Let's say it's a big rebranding that's going to involve half a million dollars, which is a lot for one of our kind of companies. And it's going to take nine to 12 months. You might present to the board, here's our decision. And here are the other alternatives we considered. um, And here's why we chose the path we've chosen. Anybody have any questions about that? That would be appropriate. But to go with an open-ended list of options and say, board, can you please make a decision for us would be, to me, inappropriate. And management wouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. their job. Are there any soft spots where, in your experience you've had or other board members have had around, oh, I really wish I understood this more about marketing, or I really want to get smarter on this in order to be a more effective board member? I know there's a lot of science in the marketing domain, but I don't actually understand all that science as much as I'd like to, frankly. Okay. I wouldn't use the boardroom as the way to become educated. Frankly, most people probably, they don't need to know it and they may not care to know it. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a nerd around that stuff and I'd love to know more about it. And that would be something that a marketer might offer to have an offline session, which is totally appropriate. Mm -hmm. The board, that in a board meeting is three, four hours max. You're covering a lot of material. And so I wouldn't use that to educate unless it's about like, market research, how we position, juxtapose our position relative to competition. Yep. I wouldn't call it educating. I'd call that informing and offer to do offline sessions with a subset of the board or anyone interested if they want to dig deeper. In general, and not just about marketers, but do you think that operators within a company are leveraging board members as much as they could 
or should outside of the board meetings? You know, it's funny. I've seen situations where operators view me as a resource Mm -hmm. and they embrace the idea of an operating partner working with them. And I've had other situations where people are less willing to collaborate and be open and transparent with members of the board. Mm -hmm. We prefer the former. My last CEO job, I had a great operating partner Mm -hmm. with whom I worked and I loved bouncing things off of him and vice versa. It was very collaborative. What's behind that when somebody, like some folks, founders or other operators are seeing the board as a resource and some are seeing the board as more of a a gatekeeper or like a necessary evil? Like, what's the root of that, do you think? It's the personality thing, I think. By the way, it's not like it's all or nothing with one, with a company, right? Yeah. We could have a situation where a certain executive's CEO embraces the model where we're collaborating. Again, we're not there to make decisions. We're there to support them. Uh, CEO may embrace that, but some of his or her executives may not. Mm-hmm. I think it comes down to, I'm guessing here, but maybe there's a, an element of, I don't want to be perceived as weak in the eyes of my investor. I need to have all the answers and I need to be in command of all things in my domain. We do have expectations that they know their business, and but we don't have expectations that they know everything, that we don't have any expectation. We know that mistakes will be made and that's totally cool. But, but some people may be concerned about being maybe, vulnerable. it's not the right word, but being, you know, highly transparent. Hey, I'm struggling with this. That that may be something people have a tough time sharing because they may worry that it's a sign of weakness. Mm. Again, it's a conjecture. I think that may be going on, but we like transparency. We know that building these businesses is very hard work. And what we don't like are surprises. And what we don't like are know-it-alls. I mean, nobody knows it all. Yeah. As many years as I've been doing this, teams win, you know, the very few team sport where you can win without the team making it happen together. Mm-hmm. And we're part, we went part of the team. I've always liked that about friends. Just from doing some searches with you guys, I felt that there's more of that team dynamic of, oh, I'll jump in and interview this person, even though I wasn't planning to do that. And why not? Hey, we're all doing this as a team and that you, you feel that. And we don't make hiring decisions. We support hiring decisions. Yeah. We like to provide our companies with great recruiters like you. And unfortunately, you're not always available because <laughs> you're too busy. I mean, you've seen it up close and personal. We will never make a decision we will advise, we're involved in all C-level hiring in one way or another. We'll advise the CEO with our point of view, but she or he will always have the final decision. We'll never impose a decision on the CEO. Right. And they have absolute veto power, no matter how much we like a candidate. And no matter how much we don't like a candidate, we will not ultimately tell them not, we, we won't stand in the way of hiring. Yeah. We will make our point of view known. Yeah. But we don't want to cross that line. CEOs run the company. Let's talk a little bit more about metrics. If you have anything else to share, you mentioned to me earlier, you presume a marketing leader is running their business based on metrics, so you don't need to see them all. Can you talk about more about what types of metrics to share and what not to share? If there's anything else you have to say about that. Again, the drawing a very clear line between marketing spend and impact on bookings on growth to me is super important. Mm-hmm. In our businesses, new logo growth is the lifeblood to long-term growth. So having an understanding of how we're doing new logo acquisition, presumption is we have an ideal customer profile that's well-identified. may not be day one, but we get to a point pretty quickly in our investment on clarity around the ICP and then kind of understanding our ability to generate a rich pipeline full of ICP kinds of targets and then how those ultimately convert to closed one. Now, marketing doesn't by itself do all that. 
obviously it's a sales and marketing uh, effort, but we want marketing to be thinking about that bookings line, ARR growth. One level below that, kind of drawing that line between investments in marketing and close one business is that new logo point of view. And then upsell, cross-sell is a big part of it. And what role does marketing play in customer marketing? Because number one rule of SaaS is keep what you've got. Don't lose customers that you've already got, assuming they're good customers and they fit your ICP. And they have good unit economics, keep them. So marketing can play a role in, in customer marketing and understanding new logo, acquisition, expansion business with current customers are good metrics to track. I think ultimately the marketing domain should be able to give a heads-up display to the business around future growth. So the finance team does a rearview mirror view of the business, right? You get financial reports that tell you how you did last month, last quarter, last year. Marketing ideally can paint a picture of with this level of trial activity or demo activity or MQL activity, we can expect our bookings to trend as follows. That's a nirvana. If you can create a heads up display that allows you to predict with greater accuracy the future, that's nirvana in my view. That's hard because a lot of our businesses are they're young companies. They don't have a lot of longitudinal data. They don't have all the metrics tracking from day one. But if a marketing leader can bring that to the table, it's easier to invest in, into the future if, if you have high confidence around the trajectory of your business. Mm. I love that. The heads-up display for future growth. But you realize, I have to advocate for marketers here, that, you know, this dollar-in, dollar-out mentality and, oh, if you give me X amount, I could give you exactly Y. That sounds good, but it's a little challenging, right? It's Nirvana. Yeah. I said Nirvana. <laughs> it's Nirvana. Nobody, I know it's very hard. Yeah. I know a business, SolarWinds was a business where they could predict their future bookings based on the number of trial, number of downloads. They had a freemium model. And they had a download and they tracked downloads. They could tell you how that was going to convert to paying customers. And we have a company, really exciting company called Wealthbox. And they have phenomenal trial to, pay, to paid customer conversion rates. And so that it is possible, but I agree, it's not easy. Mm. And you don't expect every dollar that you spend in marketing to be able to say that's doing this to the, right. to the bookings line. Right. Or to the revenue line. If you look outside of like the metrics that are all about conversion and acquisition of new logos and expansion of current customers, what maybe the softer sides of marketing, like how do you want those things? What visibility do you want to those things? Again, I think it depends on where you are and what's going on. So if there's a major rebranding exercise happening, understanding that big investment and kind of the status of that really important project. If we're doing acquisitions, one like a strategic marketer, ideally understands the ecosystem in which the company operates and long-term value creation could be, it's obviously a lot more than just lead gen. It could be identification of potential acquisition targets and having a point of view on how we fit in the ecosystem and some logical adjacencies. Are there potential targets that could be where we buy, where we buy market share mm -hmm. or where we expand our TAM? I think I'm a very senior level marketer should have a point of view on that. And that's a place where we play a role too, because our business development team can help, help identify players in the ecosystem mm -hmm. and how they might fit in an M&A or a partnering context. So I think the ability to zoom out and think about strategic long-term value creation gets into things like the ecosystem, mm -hmm. partnering strategies, product strategy, sometimes product marketing, product marketing typically, in our, my view, should report into marketing clearly. Product management sometimes should be heavily influenced by strategic marketing. 
and how that team gets structured kind of varies by company. We don't have a fixed formula mm-hmm. for that. You know, big M marketing is thinking about enterprise value creation and all the different levers that could be pulled to drive growth in enterprise value. Thank you. My last question for you before we wrap up something I ask everybody, and that's just, do you have a favorite interview question? When you were interviewing a head of marketing, any favorite interview question that you like to ask them? I don't know if there's one question. I really like to get to know people and try to understand what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. I love it when, a, when an executive wants to be a CEO, but if they don't want to be CEO, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I, I like to understand their operating cadence. Now, the operating cadence just tells you how they operate, how you run the business of marketing. And what metrics do you use to run the business of marketing? I find that to be super insightful. Uh, the other thing I look for is an appreciation for the business beyond marketing. Mm-hmm. As a CEO, my dream was to have every executive first be a general manager and then be a functional executive. To the extent they could understand how to build enterprise value, how to think about the business from a financial perspective, how to think about the business from a go-to-market perspective. Like if you get a, you can pick on any physician, if you get a sales leader that only thinks about making bookings and that's all they think about, they may not appreciate the fact that we want the right kind of customers in our book of business. We don't want just any customer. That's super important. We want a sales leader who's going to be thinking about how much we spend on our sales team to get deals, to get bookings, not just salespeople at any price. And yes, we need rich commission plans. I'd like to, the sales leader appreciates the fact that it's a balancing act because business is a big balancing act at every level. And there's big questions about resource allocation that had to be made at the highest level. And ideally, you have an executive team around the table that appreciates the fact that there are trade-offs across the entire company that need to be made. I heard, a, I think it was at the Sastra conference, I heard a marketing leader, I can't recall where she was from, but she said something very profound. She said she realized the best use of her marketing dollars were to give her part of her budget to the product team so they could build a key product feature that she thought was going to drive demand better than any marketing program that she could invest in, in the time frame that in which they were evaluating that resource allocation question. And it was a brilliant perspective to me. So if that marketing leader or the, any executive is sitting around that table thinking around about, they zoom out far enough to be able to understand the business holistically and the resource allocation is a, all resources are scarce, whether you're IBM or Wealthbox, you've got to make trade-offs. And to the extent you've got executives and trying to get a feel for that in the interview process, you know, there's not one question that gets to that, but it's something I try to get through the course of the conversations. And I think great business leaders in any functional area are, they appreciate that broader, that bigger picture. Yeah. Somebody who's like the business person first and the marketer second. That's what I. Correct. That's how I like to see that. Exactly. Well, this has been great, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing all this awesome wisdom. I feel like somebody who's going to listen to this is going to learn a lot about how to interact with boards and just see how a board member's view might can be used to collaborate and get to a better place and a better relationship with the board and a better outcome for the business. So thank you so much. No, thank you, Erica. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward to working with you on my next uh, CMO hire. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fabulous. That was Chris Fountain from Frontier Growth. Now that you have heard from him, think about how you can give that heads-up display for your business. And how can you trust yourself and your results to focus on them in your next board meeting rather than on the activities that went into those results? Next time on The Get, you'll hear from two people, a CMO and one of her board members. They talk not just about each other, but with each other. You'll learn about the reptilian brain of the investor and about creating what they call big V value for the business rather than small V value. 
Don't miss it. Thanks for listening to The Get. I'm your host, Erica Seidel. The Get is here to drive smart decisions around recruiting and leadership in B2B SaaS marketing. We explore the trends, tribulations, and triumphs of today's top marketing leaders in B2B SaaS. If you liked this episode, please share it. For more about The Get, visit thegetpodcast.com. To learn more about my executive search practice, which focuses on recruiting the make money marketing leaders rather than the make it pretty ones, follow me on LinkedIn or visit theconnectivegood.com. The Get is produced by Evo Terra of Simpler Media Productions.